Good morning, and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. Today, we're going to be talking about kosher. So I was not raised kosher, and not only was I not raised kosher, I was raised really to like pity kosher people because um, I was raised eating cheeseburgers and bacon and shellfish and really everything that we liked um, that was not kosher we ate. Um, I knew that kosher existed, but I kind of thought that it was outdated and not necessary anymore. And for some reason, the thing that our family was very careful about was Pesach, um, having everything very strictly kosher for Pesach. So um, for those eight days, which were torture for me, everything had to have a hechsher, had to have a kosher symbol on it. And I remember, you know, in my very not religious days, we were careful about this one mitzvah, I would see classmates eating something that were not like actual chametz, but just didn't have the symbol on it like I only ate with. And I remember thinking about them like these kids, they are so lost, like <laughs> nebach, like, you know, how could they be eating that on Passover? Um, and the interesting thing about the way that we kept kosher is that, again, we were very strict about this chametz rule, but not about anything else. And so I had this idea uh, during Pesach one year, I was probably around like 13, something like that, where I thought, well, I like pepperoni pizza, so I bet I would like pepperoni matzah pizza. So I pull out our kosher for Passover matzah, kosher for Passover sauce, kosher for Passover cheese, and kosher for Passover salami. And I start to layer myself um, a something like a pepperoni um, matzah pizza, and I stick it in the toaster oven, and it's, uh, you know, toasting away. My mother comes into the kitchen. She sees what I've done. She says, oh, Allison, put down foil. It's going to drip. And it didn't occur to any of us that it was bizarre that we were so careful about the, these chametz for eight days, and yet we're totally disregarding the rest of the laws of kosher. And the one thing that got me through Pesach as a kid was the promise of going back to normal. Um, because after those eight days of complete torture, every commercial, every kid in school eating pizza, I mean, like it agonized me. But the one, you know, sort of comfort in it all was knowing that after eight days I would be normal again. But I felt so bad for those Orthodox Jews because they never got to go back to normal. They never got to have the really good stuff that I was eating. But, um, Flat, uh, fast forward to uh, a bunch of years into the future. I am a kosher eater right now. It actually is um, not as hard as I thought it would be. What I found was that once I became regular kosher, that the Pesach kosher tur just turned into a breeze. And sort of my level of self-control, I guess I would say, just shifted gears. And um, I remember in college, a friend of mine said to me something like, I can't imagine what that would be like to just be able to pop into any restaurant and eat whatever you'd want whenever you want. And I said, well, imagine what that would be to have done that and then to take that away. Um, so it was a challenge at first. I did it in stages. I, I probably did that over a year and a half, just sort of slowly, um, you know, sort of Xing one food after another on my list of things that I would no longer eat. And now I'm a kosher eater for probably about 17 years. And I would say that I have a, a higher level of self-control that I go through airports now, you know, when I'm traveling and you can smell, you know, this thing smells amazing, that thing smells amazing. And it's just sort of this feeling of like, okay, that's not for me. It's all right. I have other great food that I can eat, but um, I don't have to, I don't have to go after every smell that my nose smells. And when it comes to modesty, for instance, or fashion, I don't have to go after every style that my eye sees. I have a lot of amazing options still, and I can enjoy myself and enjoy this world. But it's sort of a feeling that at the same time, I'm a person that has free will. And so I'm going to make certain choices and not just, you know, sort of go after 
all the desires of my heart. Um, but the thing about kosher food actually is that there's been a lot of improvements in the last uh, several years and kosher is really, you know, I think there's a misconception. This is a video that we hope to do uh, sometime in the near future. I think a lot of people associate kosher food with the dinky kosher aisle that's in a lot of grocery stores in America where they feature like tam-tams and like, you know, jarred gefilte fish. And people don't realize how cutting edge kosher has become. Um, again, we're not, you know, um, eating any of the prohibited stuff that's uh, prohibited by the Torah, by Jewish law, but working within the rules. Um, there's a lot of, you know, very cool um kind of current stuff happening. And today we're going to speak to someone who's part of the kosher revolution. Um, her name is Emily Weisberg, and she is opening up a new cafe, Farm to Table, um, very buzzwordy. Um, so we're going to bring Emily up on the line today. Good morning, Emily. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. So, um, are you, you're a little bit busy now finishing, putting the finishing touches on your new restaurant, am I correct? Correct. Busy is an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we appreciate you taking a few minutes to chat with us today. Could you tell us, like, just a little bit about, you know, um, where you come from, you know, Jewishly, what your background is, and kind of how you got this interest in doing something revolutionary in, in the kosher space? Sure. Yeah, happily. Um... So I'm from Wisconsin, a very, very small town in Wisconsin, actually. And um, I, I grew up with a, you know, traditional non-Jewish family. I converted when I was in college. And uh, food-wise, I mean, I had a family that loved food, and food was a part of our, you know, family life, obviously. My father was a great cook, and we, we had a... My grandparents were farmers, so I was very connected, maybe more so than most people my age. Did you like um, cheese because you're from Wisconsin? What's that? I said, did you like cheese because you're from Wisconsin? Was there like a big focus on cheese? <laughs> yes, I am very partial to cheese. Me too. It's, it's true. I, I, it's in my blood, I think. I, it's um, a good place to be. <laughs> but uh, I guess because I grew up not keeping kosher, when I started keeping kosher, um, I was so disappointed by the options that were available um, I also, I went to school in Madison, Wisconsin, and Madison, if anybody is familiar with it, it's an amazing foodie town, incredible restaurants, great chefs, um, really, really focusing on sustainable local food systems, especially. Um, so when I started eating at non-kosher restaurants, I was like, what, what, what is this food? I mean, it's coming from millions of miles away. It doesn't taste nearly as good as it could. Um, and it's really lacking the creativity that I saw in other, in other places. So I wanted to, I, I wanted to, I, I found myself defending kosher food all the time saying, well, kosher food can be good. I, I promise just because it's kosher doesn't mean that it's going to be bad, but that wasn't people's experience. So hmm. I said, you know what, I'm just going to follow my, my passion and, and open a cafe. I also, I worked in coffee for a long time. So that was sort of how all these worlds came together. Got it. Um, so, what what is your schooling? I'm saying, did you did you go to culinary school, or what what did you study that got you to where you are today? No, I did not um, go to culinary school. I worked in coffee. I've worked in coffee shops for over ten years. Got it. Um, learned from a lot of amazing baristas and a, a lot of amazing uh, bakers. So, I don't 
fancy myself a chef by any means. My husband is a, is a much better chef than me, but uh, I'm a baker, and that I really love and have taught myself through trial and error and a lot of hours in the kitchen. Got it. Um, and I did, I've done a lot of classes in coffee and a lot of training in coffee, but that's about it. Can you explain to our listeners, if people aren't so up on it, what does farm-to-table mean exactly? That's how Moss Cafe, that's sort of the description of it, a farm-to-table kosher cafe. Is that, am I, am I getting it right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what, what does that so, mean for, for those of us that are not as, uh, you know, expert on this, on this, uh, this type of, of restaurant? Sure. I don't know if I'm an expert, but a connoisseur, <laughs> an enjoyer of, maybe. <laughs> um, farm-to-table sort of has become this catch-all term for restaurants that are are sourcing locally from local farms. So for us, we're looking to keep our, um, our farms within a 100-mile radius. Um, it, I think that farm-to-table does mean in a lot of places that the food's coming from off-farm. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's local anymore. It's become kind of a, a trendy term. Got but it. for us, we really are aiming to keep our farm sources local. Mm-hmm. And um, that means that the menu has to change because... We're in the Northeast, and, um, you know, strawberries just don't grow in December, so there aren't going to be any strawberries in our restaurant in December. Um, that's another sort of piece of what farm-to-table means, and, and you can sort of assume if a restaurant's farm-to-table that they're going to have a changing menu that will be seasonal and that um, they're looking to find farmers that are growing with sort of healthier for the environment practices. Um, this is all... Not, this is not scientific. A restaurant could say they're farm to table and, and, and of course all food comes from a farm for the most part, but we're specifically saying small farms with good growing practices and local. Um, that's what we mean. So is this, is the farm to table because sort of like philosophically it's sort of better for the environment or is it also going to impact taste? Both. Absolutely both. I mean, anything that's good for the planet is good for the, the product that the planet produces and that means that the food's going to taste better mm-hmm. so we're not having you're not having chemicals in your growing growing practices that means that your food's going to taste like food and not like chemicals yeah. people are almost um accustomed to food tasting not like it's supposed to at this point which is unfortunate and then and then also just because the food is being grown um nearby it's not traveling it's for, for you know thousands of miles and uh it's being picked when it's ripe which means that it's it's optimally grown and it's going to taste delicious as opposed to most tomatoes and strawberries and berries and other, other um, items that are very common in our pantries or in our refrigerators that are picked way before they're ripe, way before they're ready. And um, then they travel and they, they travel thousands of miles and they've also been genetically modified or adapted seeds have been chosen specifically because they can withstand all of this, um, you know, negative input, be it, travel or chemicals, et cetera. So, of course, a, a, a local tomato picked in August and that travels, you know, you know, I don't know, 15 miles is going to taste phenomenal as opposed to anything you'll get in January from Mexico. So what I'll tell you is that when I'm in Israel, I notice that I like tomatoes so much more. Tomatoes, cucumbers, they just have a different flavor than anything that I ever eat in the States. Is, is that what I'm tasting there, that it's just probably more local and... Yeah, absolutely. For sure, for sure, taste the difference in Israel. Um, there's a lot to be said about the growing practices, but on, in general, um, things are are much more local for sure. Mm-hmm. 
And are there any other farm to table restaurants, kosher restaurants out there in other parts in other parts of the world or? Oh, for sure. All over there are farm to table restaurants in the kosher, in the kosher world. Um, we see it, we've seen it become more popular in the past few years. There's Mason and Mug, um, you know, Grow and Behold is a, a different kind of farm to table, um, because they're, they're meat obviously, yeah. but Pardes, Basil, even is sourcing from some places, um, that are commendable. So it's, it's becoming more popular for sure. Mm-hmm. And outside of the kosher world, it's, it's almost ubiquitous, um, but places will call themselves farm to table and not actually be um, looking for all the same value points. Got it. Why Riverdale? This is where your new cafe is uh, almost done being built. Why, why did you choose this community? So um, mainly because we live here. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> and as any good restaurant owner knows, you can't have a long commute. Sure. Um, but also we really thought that it was the, the perfect place. When we did move here, it was always a dream of mine to open a restaurant, and we saw that the community could really use it. Uh, the neighborhood is very diverse, and um, really people wanted to see more in Riverdale. The restaurant scene here is really not a scene. There's yeah. <laughs> nowhere we to We used eat. to live There's there, so I know. So good. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? I said we used to live in Riverdale, so I know there's not so many options in Riverdale. Yeah, there aren't. I mean, there's there's pizza, but like, how much pizza can you eat? Sure. Um, some people maybe a lot. <laughs> and sushi. Um, there's always sushi in the kosher space. I'm sorry. What? Oh, oh I, I said there's also sushi. I said wherever you go, there's got to always be sushi added on to the kosher restaurant. Oh, for sure. It's going to be pizza and sushi, exactly. and definitely bagels, all on the same menu. So what kind of a response? Are you sort of creating a buzz in Riverdale? Are you hearing feedback from people as you guys are getting closer to being ready? Yeah, actually, we did a a Kickstarter campaign over the summer, and that was so phenomenal for us because we saw the community come together in such an incredible way, and we're so supportive. People were thrilled, super excited, sending us emails, stopping me on the street, recognizing the color of my scarf from my Kickstarter video. It was really crazy. And people were just, like, beyond excited to see the restaurant come here. And um, people are still emailing me all the time, when are you opening? When are you opening? When um, are you opening? So <laughs> we we know that people are excited, and we're excited. Do you, do you have a, an, an open date at this point? What's something that you're uh, shooting towards? We are hoping for the end of February. We're about a month behind our target date, which is pretty good. Uh, sure. Pretty much, most people have a target date, and they're off by you know three to six months. So we're not so far behind. We're happy with it, and um, we're we're really looking forward to opening this space to the to the neighborhood and and beyond. Can you give us a, like an idea of some things we might be able to find on the menu, just so we can sort of salivate as we wait? <laughs> sure. Um, so the kind of thing that you might find on our menu is going to be um, something that's going to be delicious and comfort food, but also also kind of creative, bringing flavors together you might not do in your own kitchen. So for breakfast, we might have a, a toasted French toast sandwich with brie and homemade apple preserves. Uh, for lunch, we could have um, a big meal-worthy kale salad with um, perfectly hard-boiled eggs, some delicious goat cheese, olives, um, herbs, um, maybe some pickled beets, um, you know, anything that's local, we're going we're gonna to try to utilize and, and feature. So salads, pastas, soups um, will be a big part of our menu. And then, of course, delicious sandwiches. 
And how often will the menu change? Meaning if you're relying on what the farmers are bringing that week, does that mean that it changes pretty frequently or is it like sort of seasonal because you're going to expect to have certain things for each season? Right. So it won't be um, uh, a formula necessarily. We'll, we'll be changing it as the produce changes in terms of availability. So it could be every week. It could be it could be month to month. It could mean that, you know, one item is able to stay on our menu for a while, um, whereas, you know, something else, there was limited quantity, and so it's only going to be available for a couple days or something. Um, we're just going to be totally at the whim of our farmers. Well, it sounds amazing. I can't wait to try it. We're not so far from Riverdale, so um, wish you uh, a lot of Hatzlacha success and um, look forward to I think I'm going to start with that, maybe that French toast uh, brie sandwich. That sounds like a good way to begin. So um, we uh, <laughs> hope, hope to see you uh, in Riverdale soon. Thank you so much. Looking okay, forward. all the best. And staying on the topic of uh, farm-to-table kosher eating, part of the revolution. Uh, actually, uh, Emily had mentioned uh, Mason and Mug during her uh, her interview earlier. We actually have one of the chefs and co-founders of Mason & Mug with us today, Ida Wardiger-Roth. Ida, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Um, so if you could just tell us a little bit about um, how you got involved. Are, are you the first, is, is Mason & Mug the first uh, farm-to-table kosher restaurant in the New York area? or? Um, I think, um, no, I, I don't think so. I think farm-to-table is can be interpreted in many ways. So I think that um, you know, Pardench restaurants definitely considered farm to table in my mind. And, um, yeah, I'm sure there are other restaurants as well in the area. So definitely so we're unique. We're the first bar that's kosher and casual and farm to table. And we're unique in many other ways. So, yeah, so you guys have gotten, like, an insane buzz. I mean, like, really, Kola Kavod for all the um, positive media attention you've brought to the Orthodox community to show that you can be cool and hip and out of the box. Like, what do you think you guys have done to attract so much excitement and attention? Um, well, people are, I think, really excited about food in general. Um, it's true. I think that, like, all the... Um, all the different things that I've done with food have been, you know, um, refreshing to a lot of people and um, unique and un maybe unusual in um, in general, not just in a forward, like my previous supper club, that, you know, called the Hester. That was, that, that was really a special little thing going on. Um, yeah. It was like a music-based supper club with really... Um, different kinds of events and lots of, like, a menu specially catered for it that were, like, very farm-to-table oriented and really great music. So, the, so Mason and Mug kind of continued off that um, to be, like, a great, have a place with a great vibe and stuff like that. I can attest to that personally. We never actually, we kept every month at the Hester Club, the supper club that you ran would run. My husband and I would be like, can we fit it into our schedule? Oh, not this month. So we, we missed it and then you closed it. But then we were thrilled that um, you opened up Mason and Mugs. So anytime that it fits into our schedule, we can come by and we've been there a couple of times and the food is delicious. Um, do you. you think that what you're doing now is maybe influencing the kosher world in general? Do you, do you see other places and other popping up or maybe kosher chefs getting more inventive because of the stuff that you're doing or? Um, well, I mean, 
I I would hope that I'm inspiring people, but, you know, I, I wouldn't, like, um, I don't think that my head's big enough to think that, like, you know, I'm, I'm like, changing the movement so much. I mean, there's it's a huge world of, like, people that, you know, um, far-reaching. Uh, I mean, I'm from Australia myself, so I'm, a, I'm you know, I've traveled a lot. I'm aware of how large the world is beyond New York, unlike yeah. a lot of other New Yorkers. <laughs> So, I mean, I think I think New York in general is like the forefront to a lot of change in the Jewish um, food scene, the kosher yeah. food scene. So, you know, yeah, hopefully um, we are like doing a lot of good damage. I think it's and what. What about like the the breakup of your customers? Do you find that it's mostly Orthodox, or are you attracting non-Jews or non-observant Jews as well? Or yeah, we're we're definitely attracting non-observant Jews and some non-Jews, but I would say that um, we get a lot of from people. I would yeah. say that that's, that is, especially on certain nights of the week, like a Saturday night, we'll have mostly from people, for sure. Yeah. And how about, like, anything, is there anything you want to say about sort of being a woman in this space? Is this more of a, like, sort of owning a restaurant, running a restaurant? Is that more of a male space in general in the kosher world, or is it half and half, or are there yeah. no I think in the kosher world, for sure, it's very, very, um, even in the even in the mainstream food world, although I think I think that was more in the past, it's becoming more like, you know, female. Um, but, I mean, I'm always, I've always been like one of the only females working here and in many other places. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't mind that I'm a woman. It's just hard. To, it's hard, really, to be a mother, and um, it's not the woman part. Like, I think this kind of job is hard, even for a man. Okay. Sure. <laughs> no, that you're on hours, your feet a ton. I've worked of, in restaurants. It's, it's, yeah, 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 standing on your feet, like you know, put, putting in fourteen-hour days, um, just taking you know shots of energy drink or espresso if you need it. Like, you can't slack off and just you know run away. Uh, when it gets too crazy, even though I do want it sometimes. But, yeah, I think it's the juggling, being a mother is hard with really any any crazy job with, that demands a lot, with a lot of hours. So well, I thank God for Shabbos, right? Mother that works, like, a lot, of, a lot of hours. I respect any mother now, you know? For sure, 100%. And you, were, and you had um, a child recently. I mean, as, as the restaurant was opening, you were also, um, had your, another yeah. creation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, she's um, just 10 months old now. Oh wow, Mazel Tov! And any anything else coming up for the restaurant? Menus changing as seasons changing, or anything else that's sure, going on? Sure, always. We we're always changing. We have like a few staples, like a really popular fish burger and fish taco, and we'll have like our smoked fish board, which um, the, the things on the board might change, but it's basically like the same concept and the cheese board. But all the other dishes are constantly changing. I mean, we do two two different soups a week, let's say, and the salads change a lot. Um, right now we're running like a really delicious warm roasted veggie salad and, um, you know, things are always changing. So it's hard to say the desserts too. We did a really awesome baked donut for Hanukkah with cinnamon and pumpkin jam. So that's, that's off for now and we're doing some different stuff. Wow, I shouldn't really interview food food people because I'm just sitting here really like hungry. I'm looking really at my watch. Hungry, I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm eating next. Well, um, we uh, we wish you a lot of uh, of hatzlacha. It's uh, it's amazing to see. I mean, you've really you know 
uh, you've been on TV and New York Post, and it's really, um, with all the negative publicity that our community gets, it's just so refreshing to see um, the stuff that exists there that you, you know, no one was holding you back, no man held you back that said you couldn't, you know, live out your dreams and use your creativity and, you know, run this Thank establishment. You, Thank you. Okay, so, uh, and nice. everyone it's nice should... to hear, like, good feedback, you know, because you get a lot of everything, so... Oh, nice. be- believe me, I know that you get a lot of everything when uh, <laughs> you, you put yourself out there like that. But um, it's besides the fact that I could attest to the fact that it's um, a, a delicious restaurant. It's um, it's your restaurant is a kiddush Hashem because I think uh, like ultimately for people to see that there's room for creativity within you know uh, just an observant life is is an important thing to put out there. So um, so we wish you a lot of hatzlacha with that. Thanks. Actually, Rabbi, this uh, Rabbi Grossbaum, um, this, this uh, my father's friend, um, who I know from Melbourne, told me that it's actually a, a, a mitzvah to open a kosher bar because there's something like you're not allowed to really drink at a bar where there's non-kosher food. There's some halacha. So, like, I'm actually I actually did a mitzvah by opening my bar. <laughs> So I'm saying, but you're saying people are getting bent out of shape that there's a bar in your restaurant. Like, as, but I'm saying a lot of kosher restaurants have wine and have alcohol, but somehow the word Right, and that's a mitzvah. All kosher restaurants that have a liquor license are doing a mitzvah, according to Rabbi Grossbaum. Awesome. Uh, look, when, when my husband and I came there for a date night one night, we just felt like this was a very cool vibe. It's nothing that we had experienced otherwise in the kosher space. And I think there's something, not that we should look to the outside world and have the envy of like, we wish you could be more like them, but um, I think there's a certain amount of feeling like you see stuff around you that looks kind of appealing. And then is there a way to fit that into our rules, into our, you know, landscape? And so, and you've achieved this, you've achieved this balance of it's kosher, it's appropriate, but yet like it's giving people a little more space. Yeah, I mean, people are always saying like, Oh my God, I just, I'm so glad that I can just feel like a normal person just going out and just getting like something to eat with a beer. Like, I just feel like a normal person. I love this. People are always saying that. No, I, I think honestly, having, and this is something that we try to do here at June the City, showing people that there's more space for self within observance, I think actually allows more people to be observant and it allows more people to be interested to explore observance when they see that there's more flexibility and more room in that space than just, you know, very strict uh, strictures. So obviously if somebody wants to take, you know, extra stringencies upon themselves, then, you know, they're certainly welcome to. But, um, you know, to do this in an out-of-the-box way to create this space and not only, you know, have you done this in the restaurant space, but I hope that it inspires other men and women to figure out how they can do out of the box things and in other areas. So um, I think yeah, it's groundbreaking. Too. So uh, I agree. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I also hope that like it's not just about one area; it's about your whole life, like the integration of you know halacha with um, you know the things that are passionate to people that, that they want to do and give them joy and stuff like that. Perfect. Awesome. I couldn't agree more. Well, thank you for uh, for taking some time with us with your 14-hour days. I hope you were at least sitting when you were talking to us and get off your feet a little bit. Yeah, right. <laughs> and um, we, uh, my husband and I need to plan our next uh, date night back at uh, Mason and Mug and everyone listening. Uh, Mason and Mug is open. Can you give us an address? Yeah, 708 Washington Avenue between Prospect Park and St. Mark's. Prospect Place and St. Mark's. And we're open Tuesday to Thursday, 4 p.m. to midnight. We're open Saturday night after Shabbos till like midnight again, and then Sunday we do like a brunch from noon until 9 p.m. 
you can awesome. if you didn't follow that, you can just check out masonandmug.com. Okay, perfect. And uh, and for our earlier guest, Emily, if you guys are up more north in uh, the New York area, we have uh, Moss Cafe hopefully opening up at the end of February. All right, well, thank you for joining us today, and we hope to see you and eat with you soon. You're welcome. Thanks so much. Bye. Take care. Bye-bye. So is anyone else here feeling hungry after uh, having these two fabulous women uh, describe their menus to me? I think that it is time for lunch soon. Um, besides, like I said, besides just, you know, sort of a revolution in the kosher space, I just think it's awesome that there are women that are doing revolutionary stuff kind of in, in the workplace. And, um, you know, I recently spoke at a conservative synagogue. It's the first time I've been booked um, in a, a non-Orthodox synagogue. And this group of women loved what I had to say. Many of them were sitting with tears in their eyes throughout my talk. And at the end, one of them said to me, like, how are you so empowered? Like, how, how can you have such a voice when you're orthodox? And I said, I have a voice by just moving my mouth and, you know, then the words come out. And I think, um, you know, there's still, unfortunately, a lot of stereotypes out there. Um, maybe it's because some of the worst stories are the ones that come to the media, to the forefront of the people that did have bad experiences. And it's not to say that there aren't, you know, troublesome things happening. But for so many of us, there are so women so many women in the Orthodox space who are dreaming big dreams, who are, um, you know, doing really cool things professionally. And really besides, I didn't ask either of these women, but I can assure you besides every successful Orthodox woman is a very supportive Orthodox husband. That's how um, this uh, Jew in the City gig started. And so um, here's to a little credit to those husbands standing by their uh, their strong women and uh and helping them live out their dreams. Okay, we will see you same time, same place next Thursday. And thanks so much again for listening.